welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends. Don't like baseball players have walk-up music for when they go to the plate? That's a good walk-up music right there. I'm ready to preach, baby. I'm ready to do this. Uh, my name is Micah. If we don't know each other, I'm sorry for that. Um, I'm the lead pastor here. Glad that you're with us. And um, just real quickly before we jump in, for those of you that don't know, um, the Witham family's headed out on a little sabbatical this summer, which we are so excited about. We're so thankful, so grateful. Um, and some of you got a little FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions, uh, this last week in your Discover Awaken email boxes. If you didn't get that and you want to know a little bit more about where we're going, what we're going to be doing, um, who's going to be um, preaching this summer, um, all of that is in this little FAQ sheet. Friends, you're in great hands. Some of my best friends and like some of the best preachers that I know in the Twin Cities are coming. Um, my friend Steve Weens, who's been here before, Stefan Van Voorst, who's led worship. Greg Boyd's going to be here for one weekend. I mean, I kind of want to come back, but not really, you know what I mean? <laughs> I have to say that. Uh, no. Uh, I'm, we're so grateful, though, so grateful. Um, so if you want more information about that, um, please grab that. There are some copies in the back, or you can just um, check the website, and that's available there. So... Um, okay, we're going to preach a sermon. Oh, one thing, May 29th, Sunday, next week, we're showing a movie called The Way, which is about the Camino de Santiago, um, and uh, Hadley, my oldest daughter, and I are going to be walking a part of that as sort of the first part of our, our sabbatical. So we're going to show that next week, Sunday night, I think it's, did we know, 6 or 6.30, anybody? It's either 6 or 6.30, so come at 6 and you'll be on time. <laughs> All right? It's on the website, too. Um, April 29th? No, it's, uh, oh, it's, did I say May? I meant April. It's next week, next Sunday. April 29th, everybody. They pay me to preach. That's about all. So I'm going to do that now. Um, question for you. I want to start with a question. The question is, this is an all play, so go ahead and shout some answers out and say it loud because this room just swallows up voices. Um, how would you describe the Bible? Dense. Okay, what else? Confusing, fascinating. fascinating, what else? Long, Long. amen, sister. <laughs> 66 books, what else? How would you describe the Bible? Mysterious, did I hear that? Okay. Authoritative. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need that one again. Moody. I wasn't sure if that was an N, at which point it would have been nudie. Safe to say I wasn't expecting that answer. Yeah, um, how would you describe the Bible? So thankfully, nobody said what I was hoping you wouldn't say, which would have thrown my whole illustration off. So I rolled the dice on that one. When you ask the question, how would you describe the Bible, more often, or I think you're, you don't usually get surprising or progressive or inclusive. The Bible, the most progressive book out there right? Or the most inclusive book out there. And actually today, this morning, I want to, um, we're in a, a series called the Narrative Lectionary, and we've been walking through the Bible, sort of select stories along the way. We've just made it through uh, Holy Week and Lent in the Gospel of John, and now we're moving out of the Gospels into the book of Acts. And I want to suggest, I'm going to argue, that Acts chapter 9, the passage we're going to study this morning, is a part of a very surprising conversation, and arguably even 
a very progressive conversation that's happening in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to ask you to stand if you are able for the reading of God's Word, and then we will jump in and see if there isn't anything here for us today. Acts 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in, in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you, uh, sent me so that you may see again and may be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And after he got up and was baptized, after taking some food, he regained his strength. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather, we do so with... uh, as much faith as we can muster and as much openness as we can offer that you might do what you say you will do when your word goes out, when, that this is alive, it's active, it, it seeks to accomplish something and do something in us. And so I pray that that would be the case. Holy Spirit, uh, blow through this building, through the hearts and the lives of the people here, that they might know you and sense that you are real and that you are who you say you are. So encourage us, equip us, exhort us, invite us, challenge us, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As I said, friends, we're in the book of Acts and we're uh, part of this narrative lectionary. Acts is the second volume of Luke's gospel, if you didn't know that. It's written by the same guy. And many would argue that Luke is just continuing what he started in the gospel of Luke, which is telling the story of Jesus and now working out the implications of this resurrected Jesus. And I want to argue that In this passage that we read are a number of surprises, things that maybe you didn't see coming, or when I started prepping for this message, I'll I'll be totally honest with you, I was, I didn't, I didn't expect to be where I'm, where we're going to be, and it caught me by surprise, and so I want to offer some of those to you. The first surprise that I want to turn our attention to is that the larger conversation that Acts 9 is participating in is a story of massive inclusion. Which, again, isn't something that is said often about the Bible. And yet, here it is. 
When you go to the larger narrative that Acts 9 is a part of, specifically chapters 8 to 15, it is a story of inclusion from start to finish. And I would actually suggest that the Bible is doing this. In its day and in its age, for its time, it was really progressive and really inclusive. And we miss that. I want to try to uncover that. Because of the work of Jesus, because of the Christ, those who had been excluded previously are now being included. Those who were outside of God's people are now being invited to be a part of God's people. And Acts 9 is one part of this larger narrative. In order to to sort of get the feeling of why I'm arguing for this, you have to go back. So if you go back to chapter 8, in chapter 8 it's the story, or found there, is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now to understand why that story in the book of Acts is just a bomb on the landscape of this narrative, you have to keep going further back to Torah, the book of Deuteronomy, and the book of Leviticus. So in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 23, I'm going to read this in a couple different translations because it's just dynamite. Like the junior high youth pastor in me is on fire right now. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 says this, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. (laughs) The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Yeah. My favorite translation... He, this is the King James, he that is wounded in the stones or hath his privy member cut off shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. (laughs) And then the NASB, no one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. What are we talking about here? We're talking about eunuchs, right? He that hath his privy member cut off. Eunuchs are not allowed into this community of God's people. Leviticus 21 goes on. For any man who has a defect shall not approach, not enter. A man uh, blind or lame who has a marred face or a limb too long or a man who has a broken foot or broken hand is a hunchback, a dwarf, a man who has a defect in his eye, eczema, a scab, or is a eunuch. What's being said? There were certain people that were not allowed into the community of God's people in the Old Testament. Now, why that is the case, we could argue about that, and there's lots of people who argue, you know, interestingly, um, for that being, or, or, or why that's the case. But eunuchs, be it as it may, eunuchs were not allowed into God's people. They were on the outside of in. There were no provisions made for them. There was no outer court for them to come into the temple. They're out. Now, what's critical to our passage this morning, and again, I could spend all kinds of time about why. One, one author writes, like, the issue really is about um, the ability to, to carry on the covenant promise by procreation. And so that was really important in the Old Testament. When a group of people were being called out to be a people, you had to, be, you had to have people who could make a people, right? There you go. Eunuchs are out. Be that as it may, what's critical for our study this morning, this is Torah. This is Scripture being quoted, like this is the Bible in its time. It's the center, it's the law of Israel's religious life. And it says that eunuchs are on the outside and there's no provisions for them to make it into the community of God's people. And then you get a guy named Isaiah who comes along years later and begins saying something that is not only 
Well, is an absolute contradiction to what Torah has already said. So Isaiah, chapter 56, he's got a vision for this new thing that God's doing and this new person that's going to come, and what will happen when that guy comes is actually the opposite. It's overturning what's already been said in Torah. It says this, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice, do what's right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, keeps their hands from doing any evil. Listen up. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people, and let no eunuch complain that I am only a dry tree. No, 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 for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose chooses what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying to those of you who have been excluded, you're now being invited and you're being included. To those of you who have been on the outside of God's community, you're now being invited to this, not only to be on the inside, but to have a name, a memorial in the temple of the Lord, the living God. What Isaiah is saying is that something new is happening, and it's beautiful. N.T. Wright says it this way, but what he was talking about was the way in which the one through whom the long night of Israel's exile would arrive at its new dawn, and with it the promise of blessing for the world, a new covenant in Isaiah 54, a new creation in Isaiah 55, and with that a blessing even for the outsiders foreigners, and yes, even the eunuchs in Isaiah 56. It's with absolute confidence that I would say that the person that Isaiah is talking about is the person, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. So what he's saying, this vision that he has for this massive inclusion of all these people who have been excluded, happens in Christ, happened in Christ. And so the book of Acts, which is the continuation of Luke's gospel, he's working out the implications of resurrection... He takes the trajectory which is already present in the scriptures if you go from Deuteronomy and Leviticus to Isaiah. Luke takes that trajectory and he makes it absolutely crystal clear by assuring us that the first baptized convert in the book of Acts and in the new people of God in Jesus is a black African sexual minority. who's not included and welcomed and valued because of what they bring, but because of faith and new birth in Christ. That's chapter 8 of Acts, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Then you get Paul converting in chapter 9, and you keep going in chapters 10 and 11. And then in chapter 15, 10 and 11 is the story of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius, if you didn't know, is a Roman, Gentile, pagan, uncircumcised Roman centurion. He receives a vision that says, go and find Peter. Send for Peter. At the same time, Peter's receiving a vision about a sheet that comes down from heaven and the Lord, a messenger from the Lord, saying, kill and eat this animal, which would have been ceremonially unclean. Peter, being a good observant Torah Jew, says, no, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice says, do not call anything impure that the Lord calls clean. Peter, trying to work out what's going on, goes to Cornelius' house, 
goes into his house, fellowships with this uncircumcised pagan Gentile who's unclean, which would have made Peter unclean, and he bears witness to the fact that those who had been excluded are clearly now included because of the... Yeah, right? That's worth celebrating. Because of the absolute clear witness of the Spirit of God at work in this person's house. He goes in chapter 11 to the religious leaders, and of course they say this. They're like, Peter, what were you doing in that man's house? He's unclean. That makes you unclean. That's, that's illegal. The Bible says that's not cool, man. Not kosher. And Peter says... Listen, I bore witness to the work of Jesus Christ in the presence of the Spirit in this man's life. Those who had been excluded are clearly included. Then you take it a step further in chapter 15 of Acts. And they they send word for Peter and for Paul to go back to Jerusalem because this giant debate is going on about whether or not the new believers... Gentiles should be circumcised. And of course, all the Jewish guys are saying, yeah, if we had to do it, they got to do it. And the Gentiles are like, oh, no, you didn't. So there's this giant debate, right? Should we? And the Jewish believers are saying, listen, the Bible says, have you ever heard that before? The Bible says that if you are a part of God's people, you're circumcised. It's the mark of the covenant. Hundreds of years of history. And they're saying, bro, it's clear that the evidence of God's work and the spirit of God is, 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 is in these people's lives. How can we ask them to be circumcised? And so they say, listen, we're, like, throw our crazy friends who can't get wrapped their heads around this inclusion bit. Throw them a bone and just don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. It seemed good to the spirit and us. That's what they say. Acts 8 to 15 is a giant story of inclusion, friends. Everybody who was excluded, who was outside of God's covenant family, is being included. How and why? By faith in Jesus the Messiah. There are no prohibitions. There are no commas. There are no if, ands, or buts. There are no people who are just on the outside, but we'll let them in sometimes. No. Acts and Jesus and and, and the Gospels, the Epistles, everything in the New Testament is saying... By faith in Christ, any and all. Good news, friends. Surprise! Jesus doesn't exclude anybody. The second surprise is the fact that the person who brings the news, I mean, this is just like, this is where Alanis Moore said got her inspiration for the song Ironic. (laughs) Right? The guy who brings the message of inclusion to all those who had been excluded is Paul the Zealot. Paul, who was Saul, in chapter 8, is found breathing murderous threats and destroying the church, going from house to house, dragging Christians off and putting them in prison. It's this guy. (laughs) You can't actually make it up. Like, he's the hardline, fanatical, ultra-nationalist, super-orthodox, Pharisaic Jew who brings this message of inclusion for any and all who have faith in Christ. It's just fantastic. Like, it's a script waiting to be written. This would be like Donald Trump being the spokesperson for the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh! This would be like that guy, uh, Richard Spencer, being the spokesperson for racial reconciliation. Right? Like, you can't find a more ironic person who is ill-fit to carry this message to the world. It's hilarious. 
Saul spent his life learning Torah, which says all these people that he's now tasked to go and tell the gospel of Jesus to are excluded. And yet it's God who calls and commissions Saul turned Paul to take the message of the good news to the ends of the earth. Challenge for you and I this morning. This passage and this story is reminding me of the power and the transforming nature of God's love. That there is no heart that is too hard. There is no one who has wandered too far. There is no such thing as irreparable or irredeemable in the economy of the gospel. Can I get an amen, preacher? Maybe, I don't know where you've come from this morning or how far you feel like you have wandered, but this story and countless others in the text bear witness to the fact that the God who's made known in the person of Jesus says no one has gone too far. No one has wandered so far away from home that they can't turn around and come back. No, there is no irreparable in this economy. Or maybe there's somebody in your life who fits the bill of just opposition to God in the story of Jesus. And you think they would be the last person on the planet to move towards or respond to God's love. It's stories like this one that sneak up on me. I've been doing this 20 years, studying the Bible professionally. I never thought I would do this. And I read this and I prepare this sermon this week, and it's like, I'm caught up in it. I'm just, I'm breathtaking. I can't, I don't even know what to say. It's so beautiful. Surprise. The last surprise is Ananias. <laughs> there was another guy named Ananias in this story, but he's dead. He and his wife sold some land and they kept some money for themselves, like in this really critical moment when the spirit of God was at loose and, and working in the world. And they kind of like, betrayed that, and they're like struck dead. So it's not that Ananias. What do we know about Ananias in the Bible? This guy. Trick question, nothing. Like, what has he done up to this point to be deserving of this moment? He is the guy who goes to the guy who changes the course of history and the Christian message. Paul is the most influential Christian missionary on planet earth. Ananias is the guy who goes to Paul. Like, what's he done to deserve that? Nothing. Zero. He is anonymous. He doesn't show up before this moment, and he's totally forgotten in the rest of the story. He never appears again. All we know about this guy is that he was a believer in Jesus the Messiah that he knew how to hear the voice of the Spirit, that he was prepared to obey it even when it seemed crazy and ill-advised by all of his friends. You know Saul's the guy that just killed Stephen two chapters ago. Do you believe that God is at work all around you every day? Like, when you walk into your workplace, do you believe that God has been at work before you got there? When you show up to a doctor's appointment, do you trust and believe that God has been at work before you got there? That God is at work all the time, everywhere, working towards wholeness, good, justice, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, that this is what God is up to in the world. And anonymous, insignificant, humble people like Ananias 
Just say yes to the prompting of the Spirit, and the whole course of history is changed. Do you value recognition and accolades more than faithfulness executed in relative silence and secrecy? Let me say it again, American church. Do we value recognition and accolades and posts and likes more than faithfulness executed in relative secrecy and silence? Like, what do we long for? What does our ego and our heart want to be noticed and recognized and grammed and posted? And, and yet, the gospel seems to be running on a different set of tracks, one that is humble and secretive, not secretive and like bad, but like below the radar, not drawing attention. And again and again and again and again. People like Ananias and people like, well, you, me, hear the prompting of the Spirit in our lives and we just say yes. One step of faith towards and all kinds of things happen in the world. Surprise. It's not up and to the right. The gospel is actually a movement of dissent towards service and sacrificial love for even your sworn enemy. The more and more I read the Bible, the more I am confronted with the surprising and progressive nature of God's radical love found in it. A love that is consistently seeking more and more and more. Bigger and bigger. Wider and wider. More and more people who by faith trust this is the way to wholeness and forgiveness and reconciliation. All of those who have been outsiders, oppressed, forgotten, excluded, foreigners, the black, brown, yellow, red, other than white people in the world, the segregated, the marginalized, the poor, the inconsequential and non-value-add people. Good news, friends! The gospel is for everyone, it's for all. Any who will say, this is the way, by faith I trust this Christ. The more and more I read the Bible, the more I'm reminded that in the economy of God's love, there is no such thing as irredeemable. No such thing. Good news. Wherever you are, the word repent in Hebrew, teshuva, it only means turn around. Go a different direction than you're going now. Repentance is not a big bag of heavy rocks that you have to carry in some religious thing. It's just turn around. If you're going that way and you recognize that's not leading to health and wholeness, turn around, repent, go this way. The more and more I read the Bible, the more I'm reminded that it's often the anonymous, the lowly, the humble, the inconsequential according to the standard of the world who play significant and substantive parts in the story of God's redemptive work in the world. I want to be a part of that. I don't know if you do, but I invite you to. Wherever you've come from this morning, what does it mean to move towards this God, towards this story? One that is surprising and inclusive of a whole bunch of people that were previously excluded or that we think don't belong or we think don't measure up. And God says, any and all, by faith and new birth in Christ. It's these kinds of surprises, after 20-some years of doing this, that keep me coming back. And I hope, I pray, that the same is true for you. That this word becomes alive and fresh 
inclusive, progressive, moving, changing, challenging us to be better, not worse, to go forward, not backwards. I think it's in here. I think this is the nature of the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. This is what he's doing and inviting us to. Makes us more whole, more just, more beautiful people. That's the vision of the kingdom. And for crying out loud, if I have anything to say about it, I'd like to try to change the narrative a little bit and say, that's what's here. This is the God we see in Christ. So let's move towards it. Let's say yes to that. Wherever you've come from today, one step towards that. And we'll see where we go. We're going to come to this table. This table which says, something has been given, sacrificed for you. God pours God's self out for the healing of the world, for the healing of my heart, for the healing of your hearts, and then says, take and eat so that you can be poured out for the healing of the world. So in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to this table. Before we do that, let me offer a word of prayer and just a few moments of silence as we prepare ourselves to do that. God, this morning as we gather, it's my hope and my prayer that this community, this church, and others who call on your name would be outposts and signs of a coming kingdom, of a rule and reign that is about love and justice and wholeness and flourishing, what you've always imagined for your creation. And so, God, as we read this story, let it surprise us. Let it remind us that this is who you are. That the trajectory is for more and more and more, any and all in Christ. So, God, whatever our part is in that, I pray in the next few moments of silence that you would invite us, challenge us, remind us Where there's darkness, God, turn on the lights, I pray. Holy Spirit, here we are. Speak to us now, we pray. That's one of my favorite songs to hear you sing. One of the little guys came up uh, during the honey blessing, and I said, may the word of God be like honey on your lips. And he looked at me, and he said, okay. And then the the next one said, Thank you. Can I have some of that bread too? Yes, you can. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Spirit. And all God's people said with joy in their hearts. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Go and love the world. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.